So, as of right this second, because everything's changing all the time, yes. the US Open... Yes, it is. ...on. Yes, it is. Uh, they just... Well, the USD have said, it's happening, we're going to make this thing work. We will have a US Open starting end of August in Flushing Meadows. So exciting. I can't believe it. Let me ask you straight off, do you think it's still too soon to bring a global event like this together? And where they're bringing it together? Well, um... I, I mean, look, I'm not an expert, am I? But you kind of imagine with this sort of stuff that you have to push the limits, I suppose, at some point. Otherwise, we'll kind of never really get anywhere. So you do have to take some calculated risks, I guess. And this might be rather large one. But I mean, look, if they say it's OK, it's OK. New York has been hit incredibly hard. They don't want to get hit hard again with any sort of second wave or anything like that, uh, which... To be fair, we should say there is an asterisk of that might happen between now and the US Open. So it might get, it might be on and then postponed at a later date or something like that. But I think you've just got to go with the information we've got at the time. And That's the big thing. And, and probably the tough thing for the players is we're two months out, but the USTA, they want confirmation from players that they're going to be there. And as we talked about last week, just using the example of Rafa Nadal and Ash Barty, they were both saying, well, Nadal was saying, look, right now, I wouldn't fancy being in there, but it might be very different in two months' time. So that's going to be the the difficult things for the players to sort of come to terms with. And Simona Halep has already said today that, you know, if it's not in Europe, it's not happening this year. So I think we are almost going to be missing the number one and two in the world from men's and women's. Looking at all of the chatter around particularly the US Open, because it's the first sort of major event that we're, we're really looking for. And that is the green light for the rest of the tennis season to go ahead, really, even the tournaments before. So there's just that there are so many differing opinions. Like nobody agrees. You have Novak Djokovic on the one hand saying the measures are too extreme. Come on. And then I'm sure we'll get to it later on, but we see what he's doing out in Serbia with the Andrea tour. So it's not like he's overly concerned about travel and, and well-being and that sort of thing. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have uh, an Ash Barty who wants to really look after her, her team. And she's quite concerned about the situation out in New York and how that's going to work. And, and a lot of players worried about quarantining as well. So there are so many different concerns for other players. You're not going to get a consensus amongst all the players. You're not going to get a consensus amongst all all of us lot who are kind of commentating on the decisions that are being made from the outside. I mean, Judy Murray came out this week and said, just scrap the scrap everything till the end of the year. Let's just start afresh in 2021. And now I actually get that from a perspective, especially for the lower ranked players. And, and the main um, sort of um, argument against Judy Murray was, well, what about the lower players, lower ranked players? They need the US Open. They need this. And, I, and I'm 100% on board with that from the USTA and from the other players that, yes, they they need to earn some money. They need to get back out there. Of course they do, because they're just like the rest of us, that we've just not been earning any money. And it's incredibly difficult for them. But on the other hand, if you dangle this carrot in front of them and then it gets called off at a later date for whatever reason... That's almost worse because, look, pretty much anyone ranked inside three, four hundred men's and women's, wherever they live in the world, can pick up coaching work, can pick up hitting work, can take part in exhibitions. And they could earn a decent amount of money between now and the end of the year if they knew that they had the rest of the year to, to, to do that. And they could actually kind of get some cash flow and they could be OK. Um, so I can understand the argument from that perspective, but then I can understand everybody desperate to try and get the US open done i can understand 
people like Djokovic, they're not too bothered about it because, well, they've got some cash in the bank, so <laughs> it's kind of okay. So it, it's just everybody has their own interests and the fact is, is that not everybody is going to come out of this okay. We've already seen over 100 job losses from the USTA. All of the organisations are fighting for their survival right now, including the ATP and WTA. Uh, the only, I think the only big organisations within tennis that are kind of doing okay is Wimbledon and the LTA because of the insurance they have. So, I mean, everybody's, if the ATP and WTA don't look after themselves, first and foremost, then they can't look after their players. And then you've got the ITF players going on as well. And it's just everybody is not going to come out of this happy and positive and OK. And that's just unfortunately the kind of the way that it is. So totally understand them doing everything they can to get the US Open going. But I kind of understand if Halep doesn't want to come. Like It's going to be much better for the American players who are already there. I'm sure they'll all go. Is this going to be for US-based players? So Serena Williams can effectively, I would assume, bring everybody to a place somewhere near where the tennis is taking place yes she would still come on site with say just Patrick Moratoglu but she would still be able to maybe go back to her family every night and using I know he's not going to be there Roger Federer who travels with two sets of twins nannies his wife his coaching team his agents he couldn't bring them because you would have to get visas to come from Switzerland into America. So he physically would not be able to bring them into the country because of the situation as it is at the moment throughout the world. So how would that affect him? Whereas, say, Serena Williams, other American-based players, if John Isner wanted to travel with his wife and children, they would all be able to be there and almost a part of it. So how much of an advantage would that be? Um, Well, I think, first and foremost, the advantage is that they can definitely get there um, because I'm not... (laughs) I'm not entirely convinced that everybody is going to be able to to participate. But, I mean, we'll have to see. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely, it's going to be an advantage. They can probably, you know, rent a house or something like that and have lots of people stay there like they would normally at a slam. And it's just that they don't come on site and, and that's it. But if you're coming from the UK or from Belgium or wherever, it's just you and one person having to hack your way across Europe to get to a, a chartered flight, to get to... To New York um, so yeah definitely going to be more complicated but then I don't know whether it will just be the reverse for once we get to Roland Garros or not and that'll be more difficult for the Americans who let's be honest a lot of the Americans not the biggest fan of Roland Garros anyway so they might just suck <laughs> it off <laughs> it might just be the reverse you don't know they might just say do you know what guys it's cool and I have to say in, in terms of Serena Williams I know we've touched on this before but uh, since the pandemic and with everything starting to return to some form of normal. I am now more confident she might get that record. Of course, she's going to want to go to the US Open because how many more Grand Slams does she have? I I don't know about her plans to try and expand her family or not, but at her age, it's something she'll be looking at. How many more opportunities will she get? And how many more opportunities to play a Grand Slam when you're missing some of the key players? And we still don't know how many other players are not going to be there. Then you add in what we discussed about last week is for a few years now, she's played a relatively pared down schedule so if anybody's going to be able to go from a standing start as it were in terms of competitive playing into a tournament and have an advantage then it really does bode well for Serena Williams. A hundred percent I mean if we just look over the last few years four Grand Slam finals she's been one match she's been the second blessed best player in the tournament so many times at the slams and just not been able to to get over the line I think 
If you were her and you were coming up with a dream list of players who couldn't make the tournament, Hallett <laughs> and Barty would be right up at the top, the number one and two in the world. Um, I think also she'd be hoping that Andreescu isn't there. That is a huge, huge threat uh, against her. I know Osaka has beaten her a number of times, but I mean, who knows how Osaka will, will turn up because she was she was struggling a bit before that struggling to deal with life at number one and the 37 million in the bank account having to make some adjustments uh, you know i i'm sure i don't get it because i've not been in that situation i'd like to make those adjustments i'd like yeah. to try and make those adjustments yeah she, look, she's all right she's not number one in the world anymore but she's doing all right um so i i wouldn't necessarily think that um if you're serena and you had your little hit list you'd be you, if you had say three spots i think you really would be asking for Hallett Barty and Andrescu to not be appearing and uh, to get two out of the three potentially still again look nothing is confirmed things may change later on who knows uh but it seems like Hallett's made it fairly clear that she wouldn't be coming I'll tell you what, that um, that's definitely going to open up for her because, as I say, I mean, how many times is she the second best player in the tournament? People, if they haven't listened to, need to listen to the late, well, all of them, but <laughs> with regards to this, the latest Behind the Racket podcast with Noah Rubin and Mike Cation because Noah was actually on the the Zoom ATP call and he said there was like roughly 400 people on that call, including members from the USTA, talking about the logistics. They were talking about the tournament. And someone suggested, how about there's no points? How about we take out points? You take out points and it came back. It's, it's then an exhibition. And also, I didn't realize this, but it affects your TV deal. Right. So if it was suddenly a tournament with no points, then the, the TV companies, the rights holders, could renegotiate and actually pay less for the rights to the tournament. Right, because it's not uh, an official... Well, it is an official ATP event. Cause like the Labour Cup is an official ATP event, I suppose, but it's not, it's not part of the tour in a sense. So that would definitely, yeah. And if I was a rights holder, I'd be going, hang on a minute. <laughs> what are you doing to this tournament? I've paid millions to put to broadcast. So then you could, you could change the money and, and the US tier in a situation you mentioned that sadly they had to let 110 people go who've worked there for a number of years. They, they don't have the money at the moment. They've made all the changes. They need the money coming in. They rely on the grand slams. They're not going to get the nearly a million people that came in last year because we know it's going to be behind closed doors. So, you know, you take away points and it might be, you might also alienate some players. And secondly, the TV companies say, right, well, we're not going to pay you as much for the rights to your tournament because it's not what you build it as. I just think that you're going to get a lot less players turning up because I think even a, a, a chunk of players that are going, I'd say probably, I don't know, I'm just guessing there's no point in me putting a number on it, but there will be a chunk of players that will go, but will not be entirely comfortable about going. And they'll be slightly concerned with relatives, team members, just the concerns that Ash Barty has raised, that sort of thing. And if you say, well, actually, there's no points at all, and you could just stay at home and then just go to Roland Garros, which is Paris, it's much closer if you're European, and it's not been as a bad as badly affected as New York has been, and all, all this sort of stuff. And then you can let the US Open iron out the kinks. I, I think quite a few people would pick that as an option because I imagine they would it would not be a mandatory event then <laughs> anymore <laughs> you, can't, you can't I mean hopefully it's not a mandatory event anymore anyway uh for this year but yes I think uh that would massively impact the entry list uh with those players who are ranked sort of uh really from the top to 
I imagine sort of 60 or 70 because those sorts of players, they're not at home struggling for cash. They're not struggling to pay rent or mortgage or for food uh, unless they are diabolical with money which absolutely could happen (laughs) it absolutely could be the case don't get me wrong I'm sure you know plenty of footballers that are a huge amount of money and are somehow bankrupt I know and you just you just scratch your heads and think where did it go I just I just I just don't understand enjoyed it but (laughs) But you're just you're you're living beyond your means that are already fantastic in terms of yeah how how can you live beyond your means it's it's incredible but but some do no so I I get what you mean that there's the raft of players that will be fine there are those that want this to happen the one thing that another thing that stood out from what Noah said was confirmation and I'd seen this mentioned but because we weren't present I didn't know there was there was no Novak Djokovic on this call on this ATP call that had members of the USTA. Well, there was no top three. I mean, I can only imagine. We we've heard they've got a WhatsApp group between them. These these guys. Would there have been a little message saying, "Are you going? Are you doing?" If none of us go, you know, one of those things. If one of us go, it looks bad on the others. But maybe if none of us go, that's better than one of us going. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how Fed and Nadal joined in the first place, wasn't it? They messaged each yeah. other and were, were, were like, you in? I'll do it if you do it. I mean, <laughs> it's oh, it's quite sweet, actually, isn't it? But um, I think it's, yeah, it's not a good look, is it? Let's be honest. It, this is a time where, quite frankly, as I mentioned, the sport is struggling. And I know that they aren't. But when it comes to the ATP, the WTA the USTA, the FFT, whatever it is, any organization is going like, okay, USTA is the first one to, to get rid of so many jobs, but even if, and, and that's working to the parameters that they would be able to put on the US Open. So imagine kind of the, the massive hole. This is going to take years to recover from. All organizations are just trying to stay afloat. They're desperately trying to keep things together and they have the responsibility of providing jobs for the players. And it's very difficult to do that in obviously in the situation. So I, I think it, it's not a, it's it's just, it's not a great look. I, I think fine. You don't want to be on the call. You don't want to come. That's okay. But I think later down the line, it's going to be very difficult for players to listen to them and kind of believe that they actually care about the sport and that they're not just interested in themselves. Uh, and I know that they're not. I mean, Djokovic led the whole player relief fund thing. He was really trying to go with that. And, they they do do a lot for the other players, but this is a a real crisis for the sport, and I'm sure their voices would have been heard. They would have been really appreciated from the lower ranked players who are, are very concerned. But it's just hard to think that they're bothered. Like, are they really bothered about about the tournaments, about the slams, about the ATP? It's yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? I feel I think especially when it comes to to Novak Djokovic. So Roger Federer. Again, I read somewhere that he was, is, was in favour of the US Open going ahead. And maybe you could say, well, of course he is, because he's not going. <laughs> I mean, Fed's played this a blinder, hasn't he? Oh, he's Once an absolute again. blinder. I mean, he. it's great to see. I think it should go ahead when you know you're not going, because he had this minor arthroscopic procedure on the right knee following up from a procedure he had on that knee at the start of the it's year. It's a good no, year to be injured. It's, he's <laughs> playing an absolute blinder because when you think initially he was going to miss Clay and Roland Garros, it's not a surface he's too bothered about anymore. He's won Roland Garros in the past, that's it. He was going to miss it. Now he's going to miss it again if it happens. And he's going to miss the US Open. I mean, the schedule if it goes as we believe US Open, then a clay court season. I mean, yes, he's he's done it very well and he's also sidestepped an awful lot of controversy 
He he you know he's he can say, "Oh, I think the US Open's a great idea." Maybe he believes that. But if he was fit and he was going, how would he have struggled with the measures? We'll we'll never know. But he's played Nadal has a way of sort of I don't know, just sort of staying quiet or every now and then says something, but he's sort of quieter. And and Federer's played a blinder. I believe because he he can't get dragged into any of this, and and again it feels like Djokovic, and I'm not saying it's through no fault of his own, is the bad guy. And I don't know about you, but I am so conflicted about what to think of Novak Djokovic. I swing one way to the other in terms of mm. he's 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 a good guy. He means this. He doesn't actually care. He does. I I don't know about you, but I'm sort of all over the place with him. I think really. Well, that's the thing. It's just it's hard to see him out playing football and socialising and in a nightclub and putting on the Adria tour with thousands of fans and everything going on. I I think it just comes across really badly and I don't think he meant it to. I think he was kind of like, look, we've got an opportunity to get tennis going again, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's for the elite players that already have the money and Zverev was in Florida, so he flew from there, one imagines, unless he had stopped off via Germany on the way, I don't know. Uh, but he had spent a large part of the, the lockdown in Florida before coming. So it's not like people were local to to go to, to the tournament. No, there were videos of them arriving on private jets. And, yeah. and Djokovic and his brother, who has played some part in organising the tournament, greeting them off their private jets. Yeah, and it's, I get it. He's not breaking the law. So I don't think it's bad what he did. But then when you put it together with... Uh, he also doesn't want to go to the US Open and has been complaining about it. Uh, and he also hasn't been on the Zoom meeting when he's the number one in the world. Like he, He's on the player council and you know the, the sport is really in desperate times. The tour is in desperate times. His fellow players are in desperate times. And he knows that because he, he worked hard with the player relief thing. So it, it's very strange. It, it, you do kind of, I, I think throughout Djokovic's entire career, I've swung around with it all because there'll be one thing and you're like, okay, look, it seems pretty genuine. And then another thing you think, oh, missed the mark there. Not sure what that was about. And I think this is just, it's almost been bad timing that the decisions with the US Open and the Zoom call happened at the same time that, not at the exact same time, obviously, but at a very similar time that he was kind of in a packed nightclub dancing with Zverev and Jankovic. It, it, it's just baffling to me that is, is, is it a case of he's a very selfish individual and I know to be at the very top there has to be an element of you are a selfish person it's about you you're a thoroughbred racehorse you're doing your best but and you want to be the best and and in terms of going to the US Open he's probably thinking well hang on a second I'm in my 30s I'm chasing history. I'm chasing history, so I need my team around me. You know, I'm not just any old person. I'm this very special elite person who's trying to do something very, very special. Maybe that's come into it. But is it is it a selfish thing or, or is he just completely out of step? Because one minute he's getting a letter together saying we need to put money in and, and help people as low as, what, 700 in the rankings to give them some money. And then the next minute he, he's not really pro the US Open happening, which would give a lifeline to those players that he was trying to give a lifeline to. Yes. And I mean, the way that the structure works is that you have the ATP and the WTA, which are essentially members clubs. So you pay to be a member um, and you get a lot of benefits with that. So you get to be on the Zoom calls. That's part of it. They were for the the full members. Uh, You also get access to health insurance and education and, and all these different sorts of things that you can you can get as a member of the ATP. Now, in return, 
you know, the ATP and WTA, their responsibility is to provide jobs for their members. They want their members to earn good money uh, and that is what they strive to. And each year it gets better and better and better and more and more can earn money. Uh, and then below that, and we're talking, as you say, about 300, 400 maybe players, probably a few less on the WTA than there is on the men's. You have to meet a certain amount of criteria. So you have to play a certain amount of tour events and you have to pay the money to, to join. So that's that's one section and then you do have the other section which is then the itf which is everybody else and the itf is not a members club so does not have to answer to members does not have to host a zoom call or make decisions or have their decisions go through the players they can kind of just do what they want and if you want to play on their circuit you can go for it if you don't you don't have to they don't <laughs> it's just they just do their own thing so that's the distinction. But so at the moment we're talking, I know we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about those lower ranked players, but we're now talking about the full members of ATP and WTA who would call themselves professional tennis players on the tour. That's what they do. And yeah, the, the ATP and WTA does have a responsibility to them. I mean, they're not employed. They're all free. They're all freelance self-employed people. Uh, so of course the risk is their own, but that's what they they try to do as an organization so that's just like a little bit of overall structure because there's just so many voices now coming out from from all over the place it's really difficult to kind of decipher and for the good of the professional game the ATP and WTA need to be prioritized and now of course it gets complicated, people, because you've got the ITF, I said, was about the lower ranked players, but also the Grand Slams and and Davis <laughs> Cups and Fed Cups. So they do the very, very top and then they do the big kind of um, bottom chunk of the game as well. So the ITF, of course, are involved, but the the Grand Slams is where the tours make a lot of their money and the ITF makes a lot of their money to fund the lower tournaments. It's just... These organisations need to function so that people can can work and in, enjoy the entertainment and that the tour can function. And we just have a very, very challenging structure logistically because we just tour the world the whole time. I think you're right in that there are there are so many voices and WTA and the ATP have signed off and said, great, you know, we're happy for it to go on. There are the players saying, well, hang on, shouldn't we be the ones to decide because we're the ones that are putting ourselves in that situation. But from what it seems like, if that's sort of a, a no, we, you know, we'll make the decision, then you decide if you go. But I agree with that, though. I, I totally agree. I think it should be. You know, th That's their job. That's what the ATP and WTA do. Th that's what they do all the time anyway, make decisions about where tournaments are, how they're run, what size they are, which ones are mandatory, which ones aren't, how many points, how much prize money. That's what they do through the year. They are in control of everything. And yeah, the players get a say through councils and that sort of thing. But on the whole, they are not decision makers. And 100%, I'm on board, ATP, WTA, ITF, USTA, four <laughs> governing bodies in charge <laughs> of the US Open being run, need to get the US Open on within it being safe, of course. And then, yeah, I think that players can decide if they want to go or not go. And I don't think there's anything wrong with them deciding not to go. Well, how much weight, therefore, does or should Novak Djokovic hold i mean he's getting he's getting a bit of stick partly for the scenes that were seen at the adria tour and djokovic came out and said look in in serbia coronavirus situation is really good we, we don't have a problem therefore they had crowds and they had media attending and they were hugging and shaking hands i, I think for some people that was uncomfortable viewing and the montenegro leg has been abandoned 
because due to coronavirus, Serbian people are not allowed into Montenegro at the moment. And I think for some people it was quite uncomfortable seeing it. But then I think it was the videos about the the after tournament party you know this group of tennis players topless i don't know why they all had to be topless can i just can i just make that <laughs> yeah point? we missed that bit they it just, just started with the main they were topless. just but they were all topless no one had a top on of, of the men i should just uh clarify um but they're all topless in this nightclub and look, i haven't been to nightclub in a long time not just during corona just for years because i'm old and i've got children but just it just made you feel quite uncomfortable at the moment when in the UK we don't have restaurants open, we don't have pubs open, you know, nightclubs aren't going to be open for a while. But you've got this, I don't want to call it dingy, but you know that kind of dark nightclub-y feel when everyone's sort of squished together, sweating and shirts off and dancing around. It just it just wasn't a good look with where we are at the moment. But is is that Djokovic's problem? Does he does he have to be a role model? Does he have to be setting a good example or not? Does he have a responsibility? He, he, I, as I say many times, I don't believe that just because you're an athlete, you're automatically a role model and that you have to behave in certain ways. If people want to choose for you to be their role model, that's up to them and that, that, that's fine. But I do think that being on the player council as number one in the world, he has a responsibility to that and he has a responsibility to the tour. And that and he didn't fulfill his responsibilities as far as i'm concerned and yeah okay he didn't break any laws but i think you know we've had the same conversations within the uk in terms of okay it might strictly be okay but is it right do i is it necessary it's it's a very difficult one you can't have a go at the guy really for for putting it on but i just think that the tone of what came out of it also it's just very elitist because it's all the players who are not struggling because of coronavirus. He's not kind of getting a few big stars. And his friends. Or, and his friends and the people who are already there, of course. I understand Krajanovic was there and, and, and that sort of thing. And Jankovic. And, and yes, I mean, yeah, yes. he's great to see Jankovic. That was amazing. <laughs> um, and she was not topless in the nightclub. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's why I wanted to say the male players. It did make that point. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, the, the list of players, as I say, it, it's the buddies who are local, but it's not wasn't kind of like he said, right, we're going to have um, eight top players to kind of get the crowd in, that sort of thing. Even though it wasn't going to be a massive crowd. So it's not kind of, you're not filling Arthur Ashe. And the money is going to charity. We should say all proceeds are going to charity. But you're sort of saying it was put on... It was put that the reason for the tournament taking place, Djokovic said, is to give players a chance to who hadn't been able to play competitive tennis. But for you, he gave the chance to people who probably didn't have a problem in playing or training or getting their tennis in they needed. Yeah, and I just think that there were he, he could have just added in some players that maybe just kind of really needed that opportunity and you know because just again it just become you just become more advantaged and if you put it at like a. a on a political level now we don't like to get political on this podcast and i'll try and keep it light everybody but it's the same thing as in kind of that whole sort of we're all in this together everybody's having a rubbish time everybody's having to follow the rules and that sort of thing and then the elite just kind of going off and having a party and just doing whatever they want and it's a bit kind of like okay but the rest of your i mean i'm sort of looking at the world of tennis as its own sort of little nation. It's like the rest of your citizens are really struggling at the moment. And everybody's working incredibly hard to try and get the US Open off the ground. Doesn't seem like you are. 
help you well you're not you're not getting involved that sort of thing and I just think that that it just missed the mark it just came across to me like that like oh yeah it's all very well for you guys having parties and playing matches in front of crowds no one else can do that He's had a tricky lockdown, hasn't he, Djokovic, in, in many ways. When you think on the, the sort of journey he's taken, all the people he was chatting to on Instagram and there was the sort of furore over that and what he was trying to say or what they were trying to sell. And now the Adria Tour, as we mentioned, it, the money's going to charity, but it just, it's made, I know it's made a few people feel quite uneasy watching the events. And then on the other hand, you've got in the south of France, Patrick Moratoglu's ultimate tennis showdown. Now there are no spectators there and people are keeping their distance whether they are covering from a media point of view everyone's the two meters apart as it's meant to be there is a there is a range of players but I think the the bigger talking point from this is is Patrick Moratoglu trying to shake up the game of tennis he's trying to change the game of tennis in terms of of how this is being played oh I know and I hate that I just hate <laughs> it. I had a feeling you'd say that Do you know what I don't hate actually the end product I've been watching it I've been enjoying it, but I hate the idea that people don't want to watch tennis. They don't want to watch a normal match. Now, I can understand, the only time I can understand it is best of five sets early on in a slam for the men's. That's the only time I can understand people Ooh, saying... I've, I've had a couple of tough ones, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, I... <laughs> I would tell people like, oh, yeah, I watched that match when really I watched the first set and the last set. Like, <laughs> you know. So this is matches are played in four quarters of 10 minutes each. Players serve twice alternatively. The player with the most points wins at the end of the quarter, wins the quarter. If the clock runs out in the middle of a point, it will continue till the end. If player wins the first three sets, the fourth set is still played for average purposes. Um I th- for me, I was thinking when I was thinking about this, imagine the players having to remember all this stuff because since they have held a tennis racket, it has been as tennis is. And then suddenly, and that, didn't they throw in some kind of bonus cards? And I mean, it, and suddenly, if you're the player out there, I was thinking, imagine them thinking, right, have I said, how many times have I said, when's the clock, what am I doing? Um, it must be a bit confusing for them. They definitely remember how to play, I'm fairly certain. And they did play really well. But it's the different rules. It's suddenly, but you've got to play differently, haven't you? Because you've got four quarters of 10 minutes. So it's getting the most points in that yeah. quarter which is it's it's a it's a sprint not a marathon it used to be a marathon not a sprint do you find it exciting did you find it exciting when you tuned in well yes but I've been deprived of tennis for three months I get <laughs> anything's excited exciting anything. I get excited about seeing two kids playing swing ball in the back garden like, <laughs> it's, just, it's tennis I'm so excited um yeah it it was really enjoyable and I, and I get that, but I just don't, and I don't mind these exhibitions going on. You know, you've got the faster format with the next gen that's happened. You know, that's been fairly successful. All these sorts of things. Like, I don't mind it, but I just didn't like the attitude so much that, uh, that Patrick had when he was promoting it and that tennis is dying. We need this. This is what, this is the future of but tennis. Yeah, but, but he has to do that to promote his event. Well, he, yeah. he does. You know, it's like it's like a boxing promoter. Say you've got you know, the the heavyweight world champion against some absolute dud, 
right? For the weeks building up to the fight, this dud is the best thing since sliced bread because they have to make something of the fight. Even if one minute in, the, the guy's out and the fight's over, they want people to pay the subscription. And this is the ultimate tennis showdown. You, you pay to watch this. So that, you know, you want people to tune in. You want people to get excited. So Patrick Maratoglu is a wonderful promoter. Very, very good at whether it's promoting his charges, himself, his academy. So of course he's going to say this because you're either going to get really annoyed about that statement and tune in just so you can say tennis is not dead or you're going to get really excited and think this is tennis as we've never seen it before it is tennis as we've never seen it before and i thought that the um the, the structure of it was definitely innovative and a lot of plus points to it but i think this is something as well that i think kind of doing next gen is is, is that attitude of kind of we get to the big points quicker but that means they're not as big because you don't have the builder. We're not just sitting around waiting for five all. Like stuff happens and you get that build up and that tension and you have the roller coaster all the way through a tennis match. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down and something happens and we have such a unique scoring system when it comes to banking points. I absolutely love it. You could win, like, I mean, you could win 50 points in a match, but win no games. You could win no games. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You could lose love and love having won so many points. It's it's phenomenal. Like, you could play yeah. amazing tennis. And the amount of matches I've played where it feels so close and it's been two and two, and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't that close. And then, <laughs> and then I've had other matches that I've won six and five, but it just didn't feel close at all. Like it really yep. just, it, I just knew I was kind of going to win the match and it was fine. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that it, 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 for me, the scoring system is tennis's biggest strength uh, when it comes to kind of what sitting down and watching a match uh, and, and f- for that audience. And, you know, we're a huge sport. We're not struggling. We're, we're a massive sport when it comes to, to the landscape. And we're different to other sports. You know, most of the big sports are team sports. The only other individual sport really that is is up there is golf. I mean, golf is long. <laughs> it's really long. <laughs> I mean, it's great. But again, like the, the, the action, like when it comes to those big moments, the level of tension... You know, golf and tennis are quite similar because you have that hush and it's about this this one individual thing. I suppose cricket maybe is similar. Sorry to our American listeners, but it is um, in, that, in that sort of thing. I mean, cricket, you go for days before something interesting happens. It's, um, I don't know. I just, I don't mind these exhibitions and new scoring systems coming in, but I do not want the scoring system of tennis eroded. I suddenly had a flashback to the Solheim Cup last year when I was commentating on and following a seven and a half hour round of golf yeah and you got the big moment wind rain I I mean it was it was brutal my first experience at a golf tournament seven and a half I remember saying to Paul Eels alongside my expert is it is it always like that and even he was like no that was a little bit slow on slow side because I was like wow that was I mean seven and a half hours no and you did it in a mahu come on at least I at least had a break at least at least that was over three that was over three days (laughs) at least I had a little bit of a break yes that the first day was was pretty brutal but at least I had a bit of a break within that um something I wanted to um in lockdown and we should say we've got the battle of Brits next week so it's just great that a we're talking about actual tennis 
Okay, that we can agree on that. It, it's just great that we've got tennis. To, not is it going to happen? Is it? We're actually got tennis to talk about, which is which is pretty fun. But I found in lockdown, you have a lot of time to think, change your mind about things. I've known people who have decided that they're going to move country, or they're going to you know massive changes. And I was wondering, I was wondering what my big moments have been lockdown my sort of life change or not life changing moments and you know what it's been courgettes oh but yeah. i've not heard about courgettes i feel like if it was a life changing moment you would have talked to me about it well my family have heard a lot about courgettes now i i was never really a fan of courgettes they were just courgettes now the french love courgettes okay i'm half french my partner's french they're obsessed with courgettes on everything every meal courgette cake everything a courgette's in and and a courgette cake's actually very nice i never until lockdown courgettes are a wonderful thing you can sell them to children as a cucumber Ah. i mean that's a winner it's a winner right there. The lies. The lies. Started. <laughs> and I was just thinking, you can do so much with them, put them in so much. Courgettes are something I feel I need to make an apology to because I've always been so rude about them, but now I absolutely love them. I oh, mean, next time them? I see you, yeah, I love them. How would you, how do you eat them? Uh, well, I have made a courgette cake. Okay, you just great. Just don't tell the people when they eat it that they're about to eat a courgette cake. No, it's just cake. Because yeah, immediately they're just like, oh, it's disgusting. Um, you you fry them in garlic and put them with some prawns. That's a very quick Ooh, thing to do. Nice. You put them in any kind of pasta and sauces, in risottos, in you can make a lasagna and use courgettes. I'm just they're just sorry to go off about courgettes, but hey, I, was I thinking, love courgettes. Do you love courgettes? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll send you some recipes. But it's just I was just thinking some people have had some big moments in lockdown, <laughs> and of course there was when I wasn't very ill, but that wasn't really a. I'm not sure I came out of it thinking differently other than, wow, that was brutal. But yeah, courgettes. I was thinking that I just needed to tell you about that. Yeah, I I think the courgettes thing is good. I like that because that's like a (laughs) self-improvement sort of thing, isn't it? You've now welcomed courgettes into your family life. Yeah, I do. I do feel, I do. Do I feel like I'm a better person for courgettes? I'm not sure. Healthier because they're very good for you. Yes, I do feel healthier. And as I say, they're known as cucumbers, the little ones, but whatever works. Well, I don't like to call it lies. And that's quite strong. But you just just twist the truth. <laughs> you, just, you just twist. You just twist the truth a little bit. It's just. But look, we've had all this time inside cooking meals, doing things. And it's just. Uh, and you know what I am today? When I leave you today, what I'm going to be? You're going to be busy. Yeah. A chef. Uh, I'm going to be a Spanish teacher. Ah, <laughs> excellent. How's your Spanish? Mm, not good. I yeah, couldn't even think of the Spanish for not good. <laughs> because, because, <laughs> and I don't ah, know it either. That's good. So you're going to learn some Spanish. Well, I think it's hello, goodbye. My name is yeah. mother, father, brother, sister. Well, that's already more than I know. I mean, that's all right, though, isn't it? That's just, I think that's just the basics that we're going to... I mean, that's, to be fair, that's pretty much enough to get by. And we were doing a song about numbers today, which I was singing along quite merrily, and they were just looking at me. And I was like... Okay. I'm getting into it. So, you know, I'm learning something. I'm learning something new. <laughs> I'm turning my hand to reception level Spanish. Wait, that's where you start, right? <laughs> and if not, making courgette cakes. Oh, I'm not sure life has life changed. Maybe life's just the same. But yes, yeah, so that's I'm I'm off to think about what to do with my courgettes this evening while teaching the okay. boys to say hello right. and goodbye. And my name is. What about thank you? I can do gracias. <laughs> adios. Adios. What about adios? <laughs> I don't know what until next week is, but adios. (laughs) 